the series, kind of through this Advent season, um, we're in a season of preparation. The, 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 the title for this uh, series is The Arrival. And so we want to begin to prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus as a little baby. But at the same time, we're preparing our hearts for the arrival of Jesus' second return. His first return being to, to come to die for the sins of the world. His second return so that he would raise the dead. And so as we look at scripture, we see him coming first to die for us. And then one day he'll return again to raise the living and the dead uh, to, to life with him forever. What an incredible thing. And so that's what we're kind of doing is we're spending some time thinking about this. And who we're using to help us with this is John the Baptist. And so we're looking at John the Baptist and some of his life to help us reflect on the arrival of Jesus. And the reason for this is because John the Baptist, that was kind of why, that was kind of his job, was to prepare the way of Jesus. And so we're going to use John the Baptist to help us prepare the way for our own hearts. Luke chapter 1, if you're there, Luke chapter 1 verse 57, I'm going to read through verse 80. Here we go. I'm going to read, then pray, and then we'll dive in. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he's going to be called John. Well, they said to her, none of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father. Do you remember? See, if you weren't here last week, you're going to be a little behind. Uh, last week, we talked about how, how uh, Zechariah ended up going mute because he did not believe the word of the angel. And you can go read about that uh, a little earlier in the chapter. So he's mute. He can't talk. And so they're making signs to the father, Zechariah, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And Zechariah asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, Zechariah's mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord is with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, and Now we get what he's going to say. He's going to give a prophetic word. Okay? And this is a this is called in kind of church history, this is called the Benedictus, uh, which is from the Latin, the first word in the Latin of this translation is Benedictus. And it's used uh it's used in a lot of your church settings, quite honestly. This, what I'm about to read, is used a lot in matins, morning prayer, um, by the church over the centuries. What's said here has been a part of the church and kind of her, what she has said about God for centuries. Catch this. Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, 
For he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. That right there was one sentence in the Greek. I'm not kidding. In the, in the Greek, that's one sentence. So you can just see Zechariah is getting caught up. The Spirit is moving him to say this, okay? And then verse 76 And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. You can imagine him maybe even holding John in his arms here. He's talking about John. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You'll go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise will visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's the second sentence in that whole section. And the child grew, John grew. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this text. Lord, Thank you for the opportunity to be together today, to have fun. Uh, I don't know, there's something about just having fun, wearing some ugly Christmas sweater stuff and just having fun with that. Thank you for that. Thank you that as Christians, we get to be the kind of people who have the most joy and the most fun. Thank you, Lord, for that. Um, I thank you for uh, how you're working today. Uh, not only here, but in Santa Fe today in the event with Pastor Nelson. Please work there in a mighty way. Let the gospel be proclaimed, hearts and lives to be changed there. And now, God, as we engage this time, as we engage your word, I pray that you just help me to share what needs to be said, not a word more and not a word less. Lord, let, this isn't about me. This is about you and your word. So lead me and guide me now in this time. And uh, we just surrender this time to you. All of us do. We surrender our hearts to you. We surrender our ears to you. We want to hear from you, God. We pray this boldly in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's message is really a three-point message. Really simple. Here's my three points. We get to be part of what God is doing. We get to be a part of that. Uh, the second point that we're going to lean into is going to be that God always keeps his promises. And the third point that we're going to look at is that Jesus came to forgive you your sins. So just this first thought. Um, we get to be part of what God is up to. This is interesting. As you look at this text with Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, and as you read through chapter 1 of Luke, and I'd encourage you to do that maybe even on your own, uh, you can see and you can kind of get the sense that Zechariah is getting caught up with this idea that he gets to be part of God's work and activity. So last week we showed how the angel meets Zechariah and says to him, you're going to have a son. He doesn't believe that word, and so he's punished with not being able to speak. 
But like one of my points was last week, God's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish with or without your faith. See, he's going to make it happen. He's going to get her done. And so the reality is, is God's going to accomplish what he has set out to do. And so now Zechariah, who's been punished with not being able to talk, so he's got to kind of, his thoughts now don't become something he speaks out. He's just thinking. And on top of that, he finds out his wife is pregnant. And then, as you read through the story, his wife Elizabeth has a relative, Mary, who shows up and lives with them for three months. And they start talking because Mary had an angel come to her. And Mary's been told some amazing things. And and Zechariah has been told some amazing things. And now he's being punished for not believing. And so he's kind of understanding, holy smokes, what's going on here? And and now people are talking and and they're they're eating dinner together. And Mary's saying what she's saying. And Elizabeth is saying, holy cow, can you believe it? And Zechariah's trying to catch up with the angel stuff. And, and, And I can just imagine that Zechariah is starting to understand that he is getting to be part of what God is up to in the fulfillment of his plan for his people. And that's kind of cool as I was thinking about that. Zechariah, you can just imagine, he's getting caught up with this idea that not only is God working and doing stuff like 200 miles away, or in some other situation, or he's hearing about it on TV, but he's getting to be part of it in his very life. His son, his son John, is going to somehow play a role prophetically in the coming of the Messiah that has been, that has been part of their religious life for the past hundreds and thousands of years. And Zechariah is going to be part of it. And it just kind of made me, as I was kind of thinking about that this week, I was thinking, do you realize and are you catching up with the fact that you get to be part of what God is doing? Have you ever thought about that? That that God's work and his activity and the things he wants to accomplish in this life, that, that part of it is, is the use of you. And you and me, we get to be part of God's redemptive work in life. God's work and activity, and you get to be part of it. My question for you this morning is something like this. Have you made a connection recently about your life and God's work and activity? Have you seen it? Have you seen a, a moment this past week where you made the connection, your life and what God is doing, and there was an intersection that took place? Have you seen that in the past month? Have you seen that in the past year? Have you seen it ever? Maybe you don't even believe that it happens. And that's part of what I want to kind of 
preach into you a little bit is this idea that God actually wants to utilize us, our very real lives, using us to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish in, in this world. We get to be part of it. Or we get to be part of those, the group of people who miss out on it. You don't get to see it because you're not looking. Uh, have, you, have you thought about ever or this past week, or I, I'm trying to not, you know, I'm trying to speak to everybody. Have you ever thought about where you live and why God may have put you right there, wherever that is? Uh, the people who are at your job, the cubicle that you sit in, and the person that's in the cubicle next to you. Have you ever thought about why God maybe has made that happen? Have you ever thought about the, 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 the people who, who God continues to put into your path every, every Wednesday when you fill up with gas at that same 7-Eleven and you keep, the same person keeps being there taking your money and you, you know, buy your little chocolate bar or something. I don't know, whatever you, gas, your chocolate bar. But it's the same person that you keep interacting with. Have you ever thought about how God maybe, maybe, see, you can chalk it all up to coincidence. You can chalk it all up to whatever, or you can have your eyes opened to see that God is using you and wants you to be part of what he is doing in the hearts and lives of the people around you. Have you seen that? Have you missed out on that? Are you missing out on that? You've lived in your neighborhood for 10 years. And you have absolutely no idea what the, your next door neighbor's name is. You're missing out. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to put that on you, but you might be missing out. You don't even know what their name is. Are we making the connection, our life and what God is up to in the lives of the people around us, are we making the connection and seeing it? Uh, where has there been a situation, I mean, I can think of a situation just this last week where I needed, see, sometimes we always think of it like Christians have to be those who help people. Well, let me flip it a little bit, because that could be a spot. There was somebody in need, you helped make, meet that need. Cool, that could be God working in that situation, sure. But it can also be flipped. I was in need this past week. I had a need of, a, of a, somebody that understood um, we, we were, we're in the process, we're in the process of, of uh, buying a vehicle. And so I needed some help with somebody that just understood mechanical stuff. So I just asked somebody to help me with that because I don't know what I'm looking for. And this person just stepped in to help me with that. That's a blessing. And I, I can see because I've kind of trained myself to see, don't get me wrong, I miss a lot of stuff. This one I can see where this person serving me, helping me, 
is a part of how God is working in this particular situation to develop that relationship and all that kind of stuff. I don't even get exactly where it's going, but I can see that God is working in me having a need and this person being able to meet that need and me being able to say, okay, yeah, come and help me. And God working in that. And that's the coolest thing ever. Have you made the connection recently of how God is working in your life? And are you seeing it? Or do you actually believe that God is like a billion miles away and really doesn't care about your everyday life? And you're basically a moralistic, therapeutic deist who believes in some God who's far off. Maybe to get into relationship with that God, I have to do a lot of good deeds and the only reason I really would need him in my life is if I get cancer. Then I kind of need him. So I want to keep him just close enough for me in that way. Or after Easter when we say Christ is risen and the church says, oh my gosh, hallelujah. Christ is risen indeed, hallelujah. That means that Christ is actually alive. He's actually going and blowing and he's actually up to something in this world, not just way out there, but right up close in our communities and in our families and in our friendships and relationships and in the, the, at the 7-Eleven and, and, and in my, the cubicle and in all that stuff. God is doing stuff and he's allowing us to be part of it. When you enter into, and I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to learn this myself, but when you enter into trying to see that, trying to put the, you know, I've, I've preached this before, but put on the spiritual goggles each day. You can go through life without wearing those goggles or you can put them on each day, looking for where God's work is, is going and blowing. When you put those bad boys on, a couple things happen. One thing that happens is your prayer life will change. Your prayer life will change. Because you'll still pray for Aunt Schmidt, Aunt Schmidt who's dying of cancer, and you're like, man, please help Aunt Schmidt. Yes, we want Aunt Schmidt to get better too. But you'll also start to pray for the lady at 7-Eleven. You'll actually pray for doors and opportunities to open up to you in the morning when you wake up and you're like, God, I don't, I don't want to waste where you're working in my life, so help me to see that. Open up doors and opportunities, and now when I'm walking out to take my trash out and my neighbor does too, and I'm like, okay, this could just be a coincidence that... Or it could be a connection back to this morning when I prayed, God, would you bring about relationship and open doors? And now I start to see, holy smokes, God might be working in that. It'll start to change your prayer life. Our family, we as a family, we're praying every night, God, show us how we as a family can be on mission in the lives, in the, in the people's lives that you've put into our life. Show us how we can be used by you to, to show us the next steps, Lord, of what that looks like. I preached last week, one of the things that, one of the ways in which we can kind of prepare our hearts, right, is by serving. Remember my three points last week were slow down, 
Oh, shoot. What's the second one? Spend time with Jesus. Thank you. Tiffany's listening. And then the third one was serving. And so one of the things we came back from from Sunday uh, last week, we said as a family, okay, how are we going to lean into serving during this Christmas time? And we as a family, we're talking about that. Okay, let's set aside some time where we can actively engage service. Your your prayer life will start to change because you'll start to pray like, God, show us how we can serve. Uh, That'll change. You'll be more intentional. Sorry, my little ear thing is just annoying the heck out of me. You'll be more intentional about putting on your spiritual goggles each day. You won't wake up and just waste the day away, but you'll wake up and you'll start to say, okay, I want to lean into where God might be working today. And then the third thing that I was just thinking about is that the possibilities become endless. Stuff starts to get weird. Stuff really does start to kind of get weird because God will work in ways that you'll never have thought would have taken place. You'll become friends with people that you never thought you could become friends with. You'll have conversations about things that you never thought that person would have a conversation about. All sorts of weird stuff starts to happen. And the possibilities become truly endless to what God might want to use you for. And all of a sudden, things that you thought never could be possible become possible. And I don't know how weird that could get. I mean, as I think about it, I think about the weird like voice in the night that says, Seth, Jackie, pack up the bags. You're heading to Africa and go be a missionary there. I don't think we're going to get that call. But it's not like too crazy of a thought either. And if God wants to do that, okay, let's pack the bags. We're heading out. The possibilities become endless. Because what is, what is it teaching us this morning? Even the barren woman can have a child, Elizabeth. Even Mary, who, who's not going to become, you know, get with the guy, is going to have a baby. God in glory, is going to lay that aside and, and put on, a, in a state of humility, put on flesh to come to save the world. The possibilities become endless. And all of a sudden, you have to, it forces you to wake up and be humble. And it forces you to wake up and say, God, this day is yours. I don't want you to come now. I mean, I've preached this before, guys. Follow me here. I don't want you so much to join me, God, in what I'm doing today. I want to wake up and join you in what you're doing today. Holy cow. Man, that would preach. That would preach. But I don't have time. I got to keep moving here. Um, what's God doing? Are you paying attention to that? Here's my second point from today. What I sense uh, God is kind of saying to us, God keeps his promises. Don't miss this. God is keeping his promises. He always keeps his promises. And Christmas is not so much about something new as it is fulfillment of stuff that's been promised for hundreds and thousands of years. It's one of the reasons you didn't even catch it. Many of you are still getting your donuts. Our little intro bumper video, it's a little theologically, gets me a little, uh, I don't know if I like it. Because the very first line of our, our little bumper video, it says, hey, can you quick play that? I didn't even tell you to do that. 
but I kind of want to see it just for a second. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I think about it. You can, you can help me. I shouldn't be showing you this. Right there. This is where it all began. Okay, that's enough. I just don't know if I agree with that. That's, that's good. Cut, cut. I like the bumper. I really do. It's, I, I said, yeah, let's go with that bumper. But, but is that really where it all began? Or is, has it been all the way through? See what I'm saying? All the way through, God has been purposing and planning and promising. And now we are, we're stepping into the fulfillment of the things that God has promised. God's always keeping his promises. Time after time after time, he makes promise after promise after promise in the scriptures, and he keeps them. If there was one thing I would put on you to, to try to figure out as you read the Bible, it's something like, find where God promises you stuff, and let that sink deep into your heart. Because when God makes promises, he's going to fulfill it. He's going to keep it. He is faithful. Could you imagine if our leaders in our country kept their promises? Could you imagine? I mean, we, obviously, it's just silly. It's even a silly thought. But God, when he promises something, he always keeps it. He's promised to Malachi. He's promised to Isaiah and Jeremiah and King David, Joshua and Moses. He made promises to Abraham and Adam and Eve. And he here to Zechariah is beginning to fulfill some of those very promises. The, the first, remember when I said there's kind of two sentences to the Benedictus here? The first sentence is all the verbs in the Greek are, are they're past tense. He's, he's saying, God, this is the stuff that you have promised, and now it's finding fulfillment in the present. It's happening. It's unfolding. We are getting to see where God has done a bunch of promises and has done a bunch of stuff, and it's starting to find its fulfillment in Jesus. This one that's coming. There's something about this baby in the manger that is worthy of contemplation and thinking about it and and, and, and it's, it, it's the meaning of our lives. And, and this whole thing is about that little baby in the manger. Uh, Numbers chapter 23. I want to take you to there quick just to show you some scripture. I mean, I could take you to a million places to, to have this flesh out a little bit. But God is not man. This is actually interesting. If you know your Bible, it's funny because a guy named Balaam, says what I'm going to read here, but, but what he says is true. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he ever said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God always keeps his promises. He is not like our, our leaders that make a promise one day and they do the opposite thing the next. He's not like that. Now, Sometimes his promises, he'll keep them in his own time. So when Jesus, for example, says, I am going to return soon, many of us are like, what? 
hasn't been very soon. Well, what if we kind of catch up with the way God might be seeing it? Jesus will return soon. And in his own timing, he will fulfill that promise. It's going to happen. Uh, Look at Psalm 27. I want to just quick point you to this. Psalm 27, verse 14. (laughs) Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I was with a group of guys from our church, kind of our elderish-like kind of group of guys, and one of the things I ask is just, what's God been saying? What's God doing right now in our church, our life, all that kind of stuff? And um, this was one of the common themes that God is saying to just be patient, to wait on him, slow down, trust in his promises, What are the promises of God? If I were to ask you that right now, what are God's promises to you? Would you even know one or two? Do you know that God has made a promise like he'll always be with you and never leave you? Do you know that he's promised he loves you unconditionally? Do you know of promises like that he'll provide strength and protection and daily bread, provide for you? There's promises all over the scriptures. It's one of our main questions that we ask in the little discipleship teaching stuff that we put together this summer is, as we read the Bible, look for the promises of God. Look at what he might be trying to promise to you. You can take those promises to the bank and deposit them. Those are as sure as anything else. And Zechariah is getting to see the fulfillment of those promises promises unfolding right before him. And in the name of time, I got to keep moving fast to my third point. Jesus, not only do we get to be part of what God is doing, not only does God keep his promises, and we see that in this text, but Jesus has come to forgive you your sins. Look at that. Look at this right here, verse 77. I don't have it on the screen. Here's what it says. John is going to help give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins as he goes before the Lord. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Because of God's incredible mercy, he has come to forgive you your sins. Now I want to think about that for a second. See, Christmas is a time where people start asking this question. What do you want for Christmas? You been asked that yet? Kids, you been asked that? What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Jackie's always asking, what do you want for Christmas? Babe, whatever you want. Just anything. What do you want for Christmas? See, If you were given, here's, I want you to reflect on this for a second. If you were given the choice to have God forgive you your sins or to have God leave you alone, I think left to ourselves, we would choose to have God just leave us alone. Here's why I think that. 
When you recognize that Jesus has come to forgive you your sins, what that means is that you will have to acknowledge that you are a sinner. And all of your stuff, and I'm, I'm leaning into that word. You know, the dwelling is a church where I want people to come as they are. I want atheists, agnostics, skeptics to be here. I really do. And if that's you this morning, praise God. And I try to avoid churchy words and stuff like that, but I'm just going to lean into that word sin. And it's a loaded word. There's a lot more to it than even the simplistic kind of thought is. There's, there's a bunch to that word sin, but I'm just going to just leave it alone this morning. But the reality is, is if God has come to forgive you of your sin, that means you will have to acknowledge that you have sinned against him. And that your mistakes, your falling short against him is actually worthy of your eternal punishment. And I just don't think we'll choose that if left the choice. Left to ourselves and on our own to be left with... Well, I'm going to have to come clean with all my mistakes and all my sin, and I'm going to have to acknowledge, acknowledge that my sin has been against God, and that is worthy of eternal punishment because of how holy and perfect he is and how rebellious I have been? That's a huge statement to say that Jesus is coming to forgive sin. And that's what Zechariah is prophesying here. He's saying the one who's coming, the one that John will prepare the way for, is coming to forgive your sin. Because you're a sinner. And you have rebelled against the God of the universe. And your rebellion is truly worthy of eternal punishment. You actually need your sins forgiven. See, it's not so much what do you want for, like, what do you want God to do? It's what do you need? Do you see the difference? Because if it's what you want, I don't think you'd ever want it. I'm not sure you'd want your sins forgiven. Apart from the Holy Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit stirs us up to the recognition that we have a serious need. Just this morning as I was reading, this isn't even in my notes, but just this morning as I was eating some waffles that Jackie had made yesterday for me, I was reading from Psalm 70. Listen to what it says. Verse 5. But I am poor and needy. I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh Lord, do not delay. I am so in need of your forgiveness. I am so in need. It's not just what I want. I need it. And that's what, listen, I know some of you aren't following me yet. Watch, I'm gonna try to spin it on you by just going to the word. Look at this. Luke writes there through Zechariah. The, the, Luke is the gospel we're in, right? He says, uh, Zechariah says that he's going to come to bring the forgiveness of their sins. Look at Luke chapter 3, verse 3. John the Baptist, when he goes out, he's older here now. He went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
Then in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus says of himself that the spirit of the Lord is upon me and I have come to proclaim liberty, right? Then jump with me to the end of Luke. Follow me here for just another two minutes. Luke chapter uh, 24, Jesus is teaching the disciples. What does he teach them at the end of the gospel? Uh, 24 verse 47, he says this, and I want you to go and uh, third, uh, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Okay, that's Luke. Then I'm gonna jump here really quick. Just follow me for another two minutes to Acts. Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, but he also writes the book of Acts. If you go with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, I want you to see this. Chapter 2, verse 38, Peter is preaching and he says this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 43, stick with me here. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To him, all the prophets, the him there is Jesus. To Jesus, all of the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Go with me here to Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Verse 18, Jesus is talking to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of their sins. Uh, A sermon that's preached in chapter 5, verse 31. Go there with me. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. I'm almost done. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. One more, Acts chapter 13, verse 38. Chapter 13, verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, that's, he's talking about Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. What do you want for Christmas? I don't know, probably something cool. What do you need? What do you need? You need forgiveness. This is why Jesus has come. This is what the early church is preaching. The early church is preaching the forgiveness of your sin that is found in Jesus and what he has done for you. His death on the cross, paying the price for your sin, standing in your place when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's receiving the eternal punishment that you and I are deserving of. He's paying the price for your sin so that you can actually hear you're forgiven. You're forgiven. He knows about your sin. He knows about what you did back in 1974. He knows what went down. Last week, he knows what went down this morning. He sees it all. I know you'd prefer that nobody knew about it. Well, God does. And yet what he's come to offer you is 
forgiveness. Forgiven. See, Christians, we don't claim that we're so great and we're so, we, we, we really know. I've sinned, I love what David, when he preached one time, David said this statement because he came to faith later in life. He said this statement, I've sinned more as a Christian than as a non-Christian. I love that. It's a reminder that every person in the room, myself, I've sinned way more as a Christian. I can say that. I'm in need of forgiveness. And that's what Jesus brings to me. In fact, John, not John the Baptist, but John says this in 1 John. This is the last verse I'm going to read to us. 1 John, I just think it can't get any clearer than this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is not to, I'm, a, I'm such a super Christian, no. What I want us as a church to be, you know what I want our church to be known for more than anything else? I'm just saying this right now. I haven't even thought about this too much. But I want to be known for being the best repenters. We're the church that's the best at repenting and acknowledging our sin and our need. We join with David and the psalmist and say, I'm poor and needy. I'm not super awesome and great. I'm in need daily of his grace and his mercy. And we're met every day. His mercies are new every morning. We're met with forgiveness. What a blessing. I'm telling you, that's for every single person. That word is for you today. You may be a Christian for years and years, praise God, that word is for you. You might be an atheist or an agnostic or a skeptic. The word is for you. And my prayer is, we prayed all, we've been praying this morning for you, we've been praying for everybody, that the Spirit of God would open your heart to have your eyes opened to your deep need for his forgiveness. And that in, the, in that moment, you would hear this good news or through song or whatever, you'd hear the good news that Jesus has come to forgive you. Wow. That's incredible. Forgiven. Um, I want to end today by just praying. I want to spend some time in prayer. And I just want to, as a church, all of us, this isn't like a sneak attack on the person in here who's not a Christian and hopefully they become a No, no. This is for every one of us. That we would, we would go before the Lord and we would just confess our sin. That we would confess our deep need for him. You, you actually, just so you know, you already did it if you said the Apostles' Creed. I believe uh, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. You, you already maybe professed it. But let's go before the Lord right now and just talk to him about the things that might be on our heart, okay? Let's confess our sin to him. I'm just going to let you do that in silence. Let's just, let's just pray.
Lord, I thank you that you have shown me my deep need for you. Please forgive me, Lord, for where I have fallen short. Please forgive me, God, for for where I have done things that I know I shouldn't have done where I have left things undone that I know I should have done. Forgive me for not loving the people around me like you would have me love them. Forgive me for not loving Jacqueline, my kids, the way you'd have me love them. Forgive me for where I have wasted time. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As the Spirit has led you to a place of repentance, as the Spirit of God has led you and opened your eyes to just see your deep need for Him, I just want to remind you that you are forgiven. It's why Jesus came. It's the point of Christmas is to forgive you. Wow. You're forgiven because of what Jesus has done for you. Amen.